Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where those who think outside the box can create unique football bets from a combination of markets. Create your best bet with the innovative BetVictor Bet Builder. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, my name is Jonna, and I play football for Chelsea FC and for the Swedish national team. And you are listening to the Blue Day podcast. Fellow Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, it gives me great pleasure to introduce this individual on the podcast today. He is a man who made 134 appearances for the club, scoring 27 goals. Plus, he has an autobiography, which we will discuss later in the show. But here is Gavin Peacock. Gavin, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are we? Very good, thanks, Keith. I'm delighted to be on your podcast Fantastic. Oh, that's, a great, that's a great way to start the show. I appreciate that. Um, Gavin, as I've done with a few of my other guests, I've talked mm. about their careers in order. So I'd like to do that with you uh, as well. So before we discuss your professional career, I mm. want to take you all the way back to your early days of your football journey, so to speak. Mm. What or who influenced your decision to become a professional footballer? Well, that has to be my father, Keith, uh, who himself was a professional footballer for 17 years for Charlton Athletic in the 1960s and 70s. So I grew up in a footballing family uh, around the smell of the dressing room and the, going to the valley on, on Saturdays. And um, my dad was captain there. In fact, he, he's, he's the, appeared most times for Charlton Athletic than any other outfield player in their history. Only a goalkeeper, Sam Bartram, has appeared more than my father. And he was a one-club man. Um, and he was actually the first substitute ever used in English league football uh, back in the day when it was just 11 v 11. And if you broke your leg, you had to run it off. <laughs> they, they decided, we think we might need a, a 12th man. And on the day that they introduced the, the, the 12th man, the number 12, my dad was on the bench as a young professional. And uh, after a few minutes, he got on and he was clocked as the first substitute. So I had that example he was a great dad and a great coach. And uh, so with that in front of me, um, I just grew up just wanting to follow in my dad's footsteps. What a stat that is. Imagine <laughs> that on a pub quiz. That would be a great question. Um, who were your idols growing up as a kid, you know, when you was down mm. in southeast London? Yep seeing your father play, was there any other idols that you sort of had your eye on? Sure. Well, uh, obviously, there's my dad. And then, of course, the Charlton players, like um, and older Charlton fans would remember Derek Hales, who was a, a legend of a goal scorer for Charlton back in the, uh, in the 70s. Um, Mike Flanagan, a striker, who went on to play for QPR and, uh, and Colin Powell, those kind of Charlton heroes. But then... Uh, even broader than that, you know, I, I was, you know, I had posters on, on my bedroom wall of of Kevin Keegan and uh, Glenn Hoddle, a young Glenn Hoddle. Um, and I think, you know, I even may have seen Hod play at the uh, at the Valley as a, as a young sort of 17 year old when he broke into the Spurs side. So it's interesting that I had posters on my bedroom wall growing up as a kid in South East London of two of my future managers uh, in the game. Brilliant. 
I want to talk about your move to Chelsea, if I can. It was the summer of 93. Chelsea signed you from Newcastle for a fee of 1.25 million. How did the move come about? And mm. what was it about Chelsea that appealed to you? Yeah. Um, well, there's a few things in the mix there. Uh, so I was at Newcastle United. Uh, I was captain. We got promotion to the Premier League. Uh, everything was going very, very well for me up there. And I signed a new contract. Um, uh, Amanda, my wife, was pregnant with our first child, Jake, our, our boy. And um, he was born a couple of weeks after the end of, the, of that season. And he was born with one hand. And in, back in those days, we only had one scan. So it hadn't shown up on the scan. Maybe the way he was lying, uh, it didn't show. But it was quite the shock. It was quite the trauma. And, um, and, I, and I, we're from the London area. And my wife wanted to be closer to her mom. And I was speaking to Kevin about Kevin Keegan about this. And he said, I don't want you to go. But if, if your wife's not happy, you won't play your best football. And he said, I won't outprice you in the market. And he was very honourable and very gracious to me. Um, and so a couple of weeks went by and, uh, Glenn Hoddle picked up the phone and he said, I'd like to make you my first signing for Chelsea football club. Now, Glenn had come in for me a year before when he was at Swindon. Uh, so I knew of Glenn's interest in me as a, as a player. I played in the football league representative team against the Italian league representative team in that season as well. And Glenn was the, was the, was the manager that had selected me. Uh, and, um, and even when Glenn had come in for me for Swindon, Ian Porterfield had come, uh, had given me a call and he was very interested in me when he was Chelsea manager. So it's really interesting. There'd been this Chelsea interest from Porterfield and then there'd been uh, the Glenn Hoddle interest, even from Swindon days. Um, and so it was just a no-brainer for me. Uh, to You know, it was Glenn, it was... Chelsea Football Club, a, a massive, uh, a massive club, and 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 to be fair to Kevin Keegan, he, he he said to me a couple of things. He said you are going from one big club to another big club. He said, and you will learn more from playing with Glenn Hoddle in training than than anything else. And so that's how it all came about. That it was Chelsea Football Club uh, and Glenn Hoddle. And in the summer of '93, we made that uh, trip from the north to the south, coming home to London. Really excited. Big fee because I think Shearer had smashed the transfer record at about nearly three million. So 1.25 was a significant fee. So a little bit of pressure, um, but but relishing the, ch- the challenge of, of playing for Chelsea and being part of Glenn's vision uh, to transform the club. Do you remember the conversation you had with Glenn about his plans for you mm. when you eventually signed? Did he sort of see you as that particular midfielder to score the goals. What yeah. sort of plans did he have for you? If you remember? Yeah. I mean, in, I've, I recently did a podcast with Glenn himself. Uh, he's got his own podcast going and he, he said that uh, he told uh, the chairman, Ken Bates, that uh, he said, you know, I want to make Gavin Peacock my first signing. He will score goals and create goals from midfield. Um, and, and again, you know, I knew from Glenn's interest before that he, he wanted me for that reason, that I would fit into his system, the way that he was playing, like that sweeper system at the back and, and three in midfield with, with me and YZ, the side of Eddie Newton, trying to get forward into those inside forward roles, uh, which was played to my strength, especially with Eddie being that good holding midfielder, played to my strengths of releasing me into areas in the final third. And, and then I would score goals because I had a, I was an attacking midfielder, but I had a, I had a striker's instinct in the box. Um, so I had a ruthlessness about me. I thought like a striker in the box, but I would also create goals. And so Glenn sat down with me when we, uh, when my dad and I went to meet with him and Colin Hutchinson. And uh, my dad sort of did the, the, the financial deal with Colin and I just wanted to chat football with Glenn. And he wanted, he was talking to me about the system and how Chelsea had been physical and more direct in their play before. Uh, and he wanted to transform that. And it was going to take a while with wing backs and all of this, uh, but that I would be integral to, to his plan. So, you know, I was just really excited to, to learn under Glenn and, and obviously to put on that blue shirt. Do you remember your first day at training? What was that like being 
sort of the, the main signing of that particular summer. And what were your thoughts on your teammates? Well, I, I knew Tony Cascarino because I, my dad was his manager at Gillingham. When my dad bought Cass from Crocken Hill for, well, for, for a famed 12 tracksuits because uh, my, my uncle who was uh, involved at Crocken Hill, my dad's manager at Gillingham in the, in the eighties. And he said, there's this lad, he's big, strong, and he'll score you goals. Go and see him. So my dad popped down and see him, did a deal with Crock and Hill and gave him 12 tracksuits as a gesture. And then Cass was just brilliant for, for Gillingham and then Millwall and so on. So I, I was a teenager watching Cass. He's a few years older than me. So we were, we were friends and we would go into training together. Um, I, I, and then I didn't really know many of the other lads, but I just remember that first day of training. There's always a bit of nerves, you know, because you want to make a good impression. And it was weird because Andy Townsend was still, he was in that training session, but he was on his way. And yet I'd come in as a replacement for, for Andy. And I respected Andy, very good midfielder, cap, you know, like a leader and was very well respected. So I'm actually in training with Andy, but he was brilliant with me. You know, just like, like Gab. Welcome to Chelsea. You're going to do great here. Uh, and of course, you know, the inimitable Dennis Wise was, uh, was straight in my face and, and, and chirping away. And, and we, we actually got on brilliantly, me and Wisey, from day one. So it was a good day. I, I think uh, Peter Shreve was there as well. He was Glenn's assistant. And Pete, Pete had been my reserve team manager at QPR when I was a young pro. So I knew Peter as well. And, um, and I think I did quite well nice and sharp first day of training and it was a it was a good start that must have helped you settle in so quickly knowing that you knew these individuals mm. from previous occasions whereas you know you hear nowadays players go into a new club unless they know some of the teammates it takes them a while to settle in yeah. and to know their you know know their surroundings you on the other hand you know that must have helped you knowing like you said, you knew Peter Shreves, you knew Tony Cascarino. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd i been at a West London team in QPR as well. So it, I was sort of coming home in a way to back to London. It was a it was a good move for us. And so I felt at home straight away at Chelsea. And, um, you know, I, I and, and of course, the style of football that Glenn wanted to play suited me. So... Uh, with all of these ingredients together and with the traveling in with big, big cast as well, it, it really was, you know, easy to, easy to settle at Chelsea from the start for me. And, and I think I got off to a good start with, with the crowd as well when, when they saw me play. Well, let's talk about that. You made your debut for Chelsea on the opening day of the 93, 94 season. You did mm. score on your debut, although it was a two, one defeat to Blackburn Rovers. What are your overall memories of your debut? Yeah, uh, disappointed that that we lost. Uh, pleased that I scored uh, because of the price tag as well. It was nice to get off to a good start and a, a header. I mean, I remember I started the move in midfield, pinged it out out wide to John Spencer, who dribbled it into the left side of the box and touched it back for Dennis Wise outside of the right foot cross from Wise. He was brilliant. But then I continued my run into the box, headed it into the top corner, and it was the shed end. And I do remember I hit the floor after diving header, and I've got up to run towards the crowd. But, of course, the shed end was so far away, I thought, that's too far to go. <laughs> and then little John Spencer dived on me, and uh, and, and I'm, I was glad I didn't have to make the run to, so far to the shed end. So... So that's a big memory of that of that day as well, and and then I think the first time that I parked my car behind the behind the actual goal that I scored in because we used to park our cars in those days, didn't we, behind the goal uh, at the old stadium there. So, um, but yeah, just you know, I, I think I'd had a decent debut myself, uh, which was nice. But obviously, you want to get off to a win, uh, and it was a bit up and down in those first sort of few months for us results wise. In regards to yourself personally, you know, when I was doing my research, in 12 appearances, you scored five goals. Now, for mm. a new signing, that's very, very impressive, even for any level, whether it's, you know, domestic or European. Mm. 
but unfortunately, as you as you said, we was on a horrible run sort of later on that season where we didn't win in ten or eleven games. Despite the FA Cup run that season, which we will talk about momentarily, why do you think the team found it so difficult in getting the results, considering the talent that was in the squad? Yeah, I think um, we were just taking time to get used to the new system of play. When you want, when you play the wing back system, it's 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 brilliant if you've got the players to do it and you and they understand that, especially there's a lot of pressure on the actual wing-backs themselves. And, of course, we had Stevie Clark, who was possibly that season, I would say, our most consistent player by the end of the season. Uh, we had Andy Dow and Andy Myers that were coming in on the left-hand side. They were younger players. And just in general, getting used to a different style of play. And then I think, you know, I, I remember Christmas time, we, we went bottom or second bottom at Southampton. I think we were at the bottom of the league for, for a moment. And Glenn, who'd been very encouraging to us and keep playing, keep playing, he said the same thing at the end of that game. And then Wisey got up in the dressing room and said, listen, we've got to start kicking a few people here. I mean, I'm using language that is PG here, but obviously Wisey was... Of course, of course. Um, <laughs> and he said, we need to kick a few people, get stuck in and earn the right to play our football. And he was right. And then over that Christmas period... We won three out of three. We beat Everton. We beat Swindon. Uh, maybe Newcastle, and we like nine points up nine. And we started to turn it round, and then went on a cup run, which improved our league form. So we got up to mid table, and then the FA Cup final. And of course, we had a couple of big, memorable wins in doing the double over Man U. Uh, yes, one yes. home, home and away, which was great for me as well because I got the goal in both games. <laughs> I was going to say, regards to the, the Man United games, that if if people haven't seen sort of you play, have a look on YouTube or, you know, you can find the 93-94 season reviews. They are still available on eBay, I believe. But, you know, the goals you scored, the, the one at Old Trafford in particular was a delightful finish. And even the one at... Um, Stanford Bridge, because yeah. that was the game where Cantona, I believe, had the shot from yes. so far out and Dimitri Karin made the save. Yeah. And it was just a case of how on earth did he, how on earth did he uh, reach that? Yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, you know, obviously that was the first time I played against Manchester United as well at the bridge. I think mean, it was 40,000 there that day or, or, or whatever. It was a big crowd. And um, I was playing up front with Cass. Um, and we we went well together because he was good in the air and he was strong and I played around him and anyway rebound off of Schmeichel I've got I've nipped it in there top of the net one nil up but we withstood a lot of pressure as well in that game and uh, of course Cantona he's uh, he spun and had a shot from just inside you know almost halfway line yes. and it was one of those moments it would have been one of the great Premiership goals of all time. And Dimitri, who was pretty springy and agile, was just spun round. And, of course, nothing he could do. And then he bounces, hits the bar, and he just catches it like that, <laughs> facing his own goal. Um, but uh, Hoddle was brilliant that day. Uh, and I remember um, Eric Cantona saying in the papers afterwards that uh, Hoddle was like Mozart in a world full of heavy rockers <laughs> in the way that he played <laughs> such purity, it was like classical music, and we were all like... And I thought that was great until I, I realised I was one of the heavy rockers out there. But uh, <laughs> that, was the, that was the genius of Glenn, even recognised by King Eric himself. I want to talk about the FA Cup run of 93-94. Firstly, before I do, I just want to get your thoughts in itself on the FA Cup and what did the trophy or competition mean to you as a player? Uh, a lot. I mean, it was the trophy to get then, you know, it, we grew up, uh, it was, you know, when I was a kid, there weren't many televised football matches, you know, uh, and the FA Cup was the big occasion at the end of the, at the end of the uh, football season. Um, and, and, you know, you'd have build up from like nine, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning on, BBC One and ITV. And um, so it was a big occasion in our house. So it was a, the biggest domestic uh, cup competition in the world, still is, and um, has a lot of history to it, of course. 
And so a schoolboy dream to play in the FA Cup final and even more to, to, to win it. So that's what it meant. And it's still, you know, it, it's maybe lost some of its um, glitter, if, if I was to put it that way, because of things like Champions League and, and other things. And I think as well, now we have so many more, uh, you know, uh, global players in the game that are in the premiership. They don't have necessarily that, that sense of history English history with the FA Cup that, that English players or British players certainly have had. But yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those, grew up wanting to just love to play in an FA Cup final. Chelsea played at Luton in the FA Cup semi-final at, mm. at Wembley. You scored both goals. What did this moment mean for you, you know, as you've, as you just said, the FA Cup is one of the best competitions mm. in the world to play at Wembley in front of the Chelsea fans that wasn't used to cup mm. games, you know, at Wembley at that period. You know, it was a long time since Chelsea were at that stage. Mm. What did that mean for you? It, it was huge. And I mean, I, you know, c- coming down, joining Chelsea that, that season, it was a, it was an eye-opener to me as well how big a club Chelsea was. Because, I mean, I, I lived over in, you know, over in the southeast there and, and there's Chelsea fans all over the place. And I'm thinking, boy, that, you know, this isn't a, a small area like, you know, you go to Newcastle, which is like a kind of smaller area. They have that kind of cult following. Of course, this is spread out across the whole city of London with all of this. So a uh, massive club with a massive following. And, of course, they haven't been to the FA Cup final for... 24 years it was 1970 of course that historic uh day um so to when they the quarterfinal against wolves at Stamford bridge and i scored the winner yes one nil and the fans poured onto the pitch and that was huge you know i just saw that that, that sea of fans and all the pictures in the paper the next day i'm thinking this is massive for the fans then when we go to wembley and of course you think it's a semi-final at Wembley I think I may have done it once the year before it might have been the first time they'd done the semis at Wembley or at least you get a day out of Wembley even if you lose but um, of course the fans are like the sea of blue there and uh, I played at Wembley for England schoolboys but not as a professional uh, big occasion um, and I just wanted to get my first I remember wanting to get my first touch of the ball in the semi-final make it just a nice easy pass to get my confidence going um, and uh, I remember the goals like um, like yesterday, you know, the, the, just the instinct really, Frank Sinclair free kick for the first one long. I see it going to Cass's head and, and, and I knew when Tony Cascarino rises to head a ball, you can take a gamble. So I'm now making my run, but I can't make it too early to get ahead of the ball. And he flicks it on, Spencer helps it on and it falls to me. And it's just one of those moments where, the ball becomes big and everything slows down. And I just thought, I just have to make good contact with this. Keep my head down and make good contact with the ball. Head down, left foot, good contact. And I left my foot. And then next thing, the crowd is roaring, back of the net, and I've spun away. It's almost this unbelievable feeling. <laughs> like I spun away, turned round, and the, the lads have crowded around me. I think I've got a great picture of that moment in, in my uh, house here. Um, and then second half, again, long kick down the field, this time from the goalkeeper, Karin. Again, Cass has jumped. I'm now taking a gamble on the run. Again, to Spencer. I, but I headed it to Spencer. He plays it back to me. And this time I take a touch. I just know I'm going to score. I just took a touch. And the, I, I knew what I was going to do. I should curl it, pass it in the bottom corner. And 2-0. And I, that's it. Game over. We're gonna we're we're in the final. And then it was a matter of seeing the game out and uh, and celebrating. So it was, and it was just a dream for me. You know, like scored in every round. You know, uh, there were important goals that I was personally getting. But of course, bigger than that was the fact that the fans had got a, a, a cup final for the first time, and the Glen Hoddle Kings Road Revolution was beginning. One thing I did want to discuss, obviously, with the cup final was the cup final song in 1994. And it was called No One Can Stop Us Now. 
pretty cheesy track, but it is something that you can listen to and sort of smile about. Do you remember doing that recording and sort of what memories have you got of that? A little bit. I mean, we had a a guy, Eric Hall was a a big agent, big name agent in the, uh, in the nineties. And he was organizing, uh, he was Derek, he was um, Dennis Wise's agent. And uh, he would walk around with a, a big cigar uh, and his big phrase was monster, monster. Everything's going to be monster, monster good. I've got you a monster, monster good deal here. And I've got you, a, you know, and this is going to be a monster, monster hit, this song. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> um, but it was good fun doing it. It's the obligatory cup final song. Um, and it, it's just all part of the of the build up as well. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think the build up to the to an FA Cup final is actually more tiring and draining than the game itself, though the game itself can be draining. It's all the other stuff that's spinning around you in the build-ups. You've got to keep quite focused. Um, but, yeah, a, a bit of fun. But, yeah, no one can stop us now. I should have added except Manchester United because they beat us in the cup <laughs> final. But, uh, there you go. Well, they beat us convincingly, didn't they? 4-0 uh, at the cup final. I believe they did win the double that year as well. Yeah. That was sort of the game. But you had the chance at 0-0 against United and unfortunately it did hit it did hit the bar a friend of mine who listener to the show excuse me I was trying to get my words out and he sort of mentioned this story that he had and he said that if that shot went in he Mm. believed Chelsea would have gone on to win that game he said you know Mm. the shot that you had that hit the bar and unfortunately obviously the second half United just completely controlled the game what was the mood like? I just want to sort of ask a few questions of that particular game. What was the mood like beforehand? Was yeah. there a little bit of doubt creeping in in regards to the fact that not a lot of players have been there before? What was Glenn Hoddle like? Was he cool, calm, collected? And, you know, what was the emotions after the game? Well, we were excited about the cup final. Um, we'd beaten them twice in the league. So we knew they were the better team. But we knew, actually, we were their bogey team. Um, and Glenn was cool, calm, collected. We had a game plan, just like we did when we played them at home and away. And it was to keep it tight, to keep hold of their wide players. They had Giggs and Kanchelskas, who were key players. They, they, we did not want them to get on the outside of us, but we had two f- really good uh, fullbacks and, and quick in terms of, Steve Clark and Frank Sinclair. Um, and, and we thought if we can keep them tight, if, uh, if, you, if you can battle with Erlen Johnson and Jakob Kelberg, battle against Cantona and Hughes, um, with me and Eddie Newton and, and Wisey in midfield against Keane and, uh, and Ince, if, I, if one of us gets a little chance here, puts it in the back of the net, then we'll, we'll do what we did in the other games. Of course, 20-odd minutes in, the balls popped down to me 20, 25 yards out. And I flicked it from my right foot and I just let fly with my left. Uh, and it was one of those where I didn't even feel it leave my foot. I just knew it was good. Uh, and then it was as if everything went in slow motion, middle of the cup final, you know, you're just watching and I'm going, this is in. And I'm seeing big Peter Schmeichel backpedaling, start to stretch. I'm thinking, this is in. Peacock scores again, 1-0. United will think it's not their year, just like what you were saying, really. And we've been playing well first half. We were in the ascendancy. And then he stretches, dives and cracks against the crossbar and then comes out. Everything's back to normal again. We go in still at the end of that half, still on the edge, you know, we've we've done well. And then with two penalties against the second half, the second one wasn't a penalty. You watch it every time you watch it, you see that the contact is outside the box. And that was another turning point, that second penalty. Because after the second penalty and Cantona scores it, we start chasing the game. They hit us on the break, which is what they're good at anyway. So it becomes a, yeah, a bit of a washout in the end. And yet, probably didn't tell the full story of the, of the game. So my shot that hit the, the bar and then that second penalty, which wasn't a penalty, uh, were, were key moments. Um, and yeah, and then it was, it was really, you know, a, devastating to lose the game 
uh, cup finals. Wembley is a place for winners, not losers. I mean, I, I think we could all take something from it that, that we'd got there. It was the start of something new. Three years later, Roberto Di Matteo was going to burst through against Middlesbrough, smack a shot, hit the same crossbar, almost yeah. the same place as I yeah. did. One inch lower, it goes in. So the difference is inches uh, between success and failure sometimes. And yet then they, they score and they go on to win the first of Chelsea silverware for, for many years to come. That season, Chelsea finished 14th. Mm. Um, it was in your debut season. You did finish up as joint top goal scorer mm. with 14 goals. Looking back, how do you think you fared in your first campaign for Chelsea? It was a good season for me. Yeah, I couldn't have you know, played much better. Um, and it was a good return of goals. Of course, the cut run boosted it. But uh, yeah, and it seemed one of those seasons for me where every lots of the goals I scored were important ones. You know, you, sometimes you can score a few goals in a season, and, but they were winners and memorable goals and big games. And of course, the, the FA Cup run as well. So loved it. Uh, and as I say, a, an immediate great rapport with Chelsea fans and uh, they like good football. They like their players to give everything to wear the that, that blue shirt, you know, and I was number 10, you know, I, I had the, the weight of the number 10 on my back as well. Um, and, and I think they could see that things were starting to change at the club. Well, because of being in the FA Cup final, the next season, Chelsea were able to embark on a European adventure in the Cup Winners' Cup. Looking back now, Gavin, how excited were the squad going into this season, knowing that you had the Cup final, you've mm. now got European football again mm. at Stamford Bridge. Mm. What were sort of the talk amongst the the squad about for that season? Well, I think, again, anticipating uh, good things. Another great challenge, another great opportunity. We had to learn to play in Europe as well, which is a different ball game. And that was where Glenn was very good. He's edu- he educated us. Of course, you could only have... Um, uh, you had to play uh, British players, of course, um, and a certain amount of British players in the, in the team, which stretched your squad a bit. Um, and so the fact that, you know, and European nights at the bridge were just electric. Um, so it was exciting. It was a diversion from, from the league uh, and domestic stuff. And it was an education as well. For, for me personally, um, uh, you know, I, I captained Chelsea quite a few times in the first season. And uh, of course, Wisey was our club captain. And, and then Wisey had a bit of an incident with the police and, uh, and I was handed the, uh, the club captaincy for a while. And I captained Chelsea uh, a lot that season mm-hmm. and all, all the way into the uh, semi-final against Real Zaragoza. And we, we lost uh, out there where we won at home and we took them close to actually, you know, actually being in the final ourselves. So one of the proudest moments of my life was captain in Chelsea in the semi-final of that European Cup. And to, to think that we got that far with the squad that we had, mm-hmm. um, was a remarkable achievement. A remarkable achievement from the players, a remarkable achievement from Glenn Hoddle as manager. There's a couple of things you mentioned there that I did actually have on my sort of list that I would like to sort of discuss. The first one was about the you becoming captain for a short period while Dennis Wise had the um, issue with the police. Was there any issues amongst the squad about that sort of short-term change of captaincy or was it a mass, you know, was it a sort of a group decision that, yeah, this, this is the right call to make? I'd been vice captain in the first season anyway. Mm. Uh, and so when, when Wisey had a bit of trouble, Glenn took, took the captaincy off him as a discipline and gave it to me. And Wisey came straight up to me. Well, I, I felt a bit awkward with Wisey, but we had a chat. He was, no, no problem, Gavin. Wisey and I used to be partners in training. And he knew that there was, you know, no problem from my point of view. And as soon as Wisey was back, he'd, he'd get the, uh, the main captaincy. Um, so, no, I don't, no problem at all. It was Glenn's decision and the players were all fine with it. 
One game in this period of the Cup Winners' Cup run that I'd like to sort of talk about is the game against Club Bruges at Stamford Bridge. We needed to win by two clear goals because the first leg we lost 1-0. We did end up winning 2-0 in the second leg at Stamford Bridge. Mm. Just sort of describe to the listeners that perhaps wasn't there or was there but vaguely remembers it. What was that game like and what was the overall atmosphere of the Chelsea crowd like on, uh, as you said, Chelsea crowds on European nights were special. What sort of, what does make it stand out between European nights and a Premier League game? I don't know. It's just electric. I, honestly, it's, it's that something different. It's that, I think it's, you know, the fact that you've got this, the, you know, the, uh, the European team at the, at the bridge, different style of football, you're talking about European Cup night. It's a break away from, from the league or domestic cups. And there's something about it that just uh, they, you, you bristled with uh, electricity. And, of course, the, getting the result that, that, that we did uh, that night, of course, as well, uh, made it so much more um, exciting. And so you kind of ride along a bit on the fans. Um, the fans are, were up. That, you know, we've got to the final of the FA Cup my first season. Then the second season, we're going on this kind of European adventure. And, of course, they're getting their days out abroad as well. And um, and, and it's, uh, as a player, you you begin to kind of feed off that even more. And, and then, you, you know, you start looking back at the history of the club and when they were last in Europe. And, um, and there's a real buzz around the place. So, uh, I mean, you know, we we started to watch videos of the opposing teams. Like we, you know, we didn't used to do that too much, you know, but you get to learn about the, your opposition that you didn't play against in the domestic leagues. And so all of it um, made it really special nights and, and particularly obviously at Stamford Bridge. And as you mentioned about the semi-final against Raul Azaragoza, you know, mm. how close we was to mm. overcoming the odds based on the first leg defeat and needing to get the goals required to mm. progress. And it was just such a shame that it just was just not there that night. You, no, I mean, we obviously got, we won, but the, it was, we lost over there heavily. Yeah. And that was the result. That was the scoreline that, that really did us. Um, and yeah, it, it was televised game or both were televised. Um, I, I was, captain that night I I remember I think I hit the bar with a swiveled shot and I remember being really down about it afterwards um and you know my dad uh, I think we went out for dinner and my dad said to me you know come on head up he said you know you you're captain Chelsea in the European Cup semi-final this this club is turning around uh from two three years ago or where it had been before that um you might not have got, you know, it's right to be disappointed, but this is, again, another step forward, another building block for the club. Well, you've mentioned about Chelsea progressing near enough season in, season out. The following season, Chelsea signed two very established names in Mark Hughes and Rude Hullet. With these summer acquisitions, was there an increase of belief within the squad that Chelsea would have a good season and that Chelsea would propel to another level? Yeah. Yeah, there was. I mean, I knew when I heard we'd signed Hughes and Hullet, I thought now, now you're talking. Um, I mean, you're talking about, you know, world-class players and a former world footballer of the year. And uh, Hullet was, you know, I used to watch that Italian football and AC Milan and, and of course, Hullet for the Dutch team. And they were brilliant. Um, I didn't know actually that Sparky a, a bit of a fan of Chelsea as well um, mm. and so coming to Chelsea for him was was great um, and Rude was just like um, he, he was so strong I mean both of them were strong but Rude was like it was like he was a, a man on, on match day he was like a man playing football with little boys in the playground he could hold off two and three players and everything he did on the field every decision he made was 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 right and it was done with such style as well he had this flair and of course um he played sweeper for a bit and then he popped into midfield and he was just a maestro 
And uh, then you start getting Rude Hullet and uh, and Mark Hughes. Other players want to come to your club as well, big name. And obviously, you've got Petrescu and, uh, and and Terry Phelan and those kinds of players that join. And then you're going up and up and up. And, and that season, I, you know, was uh, was really special in terms of, I think, a few times we pulled off some really good performances. Um, and I remember the game against Middlesbrough and I scored a hat-trick. Yes, I was going to talk about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and it was the first hat-trick of the, I was told afterwards, and obviously I know now, but it was the first hat-trick in the Premier League for any Chelsea player because the Premier League hadn't been going for that long. And I think it's still st- I still stand as one of only three English players to have scored a hat-trick for Chelsea. So it was memorable for my one and only hat-trick and all of those sort of records there, but more so it was memorable for the way we played because Glenn said afterwards, that's the most complete performance. He said, that's what I'm looking at reproducing week in and week out here is the way that we play. I think Hullet played in midfield that day and was pulling the strings and, um, and it was just a, everything clicked for us and we just played them off the park. Your last nine appearances for Chelsea that season, 95-96, all came from the subs bench. What was going through your mind at this point, knowing that that particular season you didn't start as many games as you did the previous two? Obviously, there's more competition for places now at Chelsea with the likes of bringing in Hullet and even players like Nigel Spackman as well was playing sort of in, in midfield. Was your sort of thoughts more of frustration or a case of I'll bide me time and see what happens and then make a decision later down the line? I think what Glenn was trying to do is um, move towards playing a little bit more of a squad system. Like, I mean, nowadays you see players come in, players come out. They, they don't play the... Like the season before, I think I played 55 games for Chelsea. Mm. And the last few weeks of the season, I was at about 80%, 85%, because your legs are absolutely smashed. Um, whereas Glenn was, with me and John Spencer as well, we were playing those little inside, the way we wanted us to play little inside forward roles. And uh, and so it, even I remember scoring uh, once and then the next game, he said, I'm just going to leave you on the bench to start with for this one. And same with Spenny. And so it was a bit odd. I didn't like it because I want to play every game. And my mentality was old British style. I've got to play every single game. But for Glenn, it was more a case of just and keeping players a bit fresher as well. So there was that aspect. Uh, and I could, I could understand it. I think with Glenn, he communicated that to me. The, the difficulty was the, the following season, of course, Glenn left and he took the yeah. position. And when Rude took over, it it was clear to me that I wasn't going to be in Rude's long-term plans. Uh, of course, Zola um, came in, Di Matteo, and that increased uh, competition even more. And Rude wasn't, in my mind, looking to play me even in that squad player, 25 games a season kind of thing. Um, and so it was apparent that the writing was on the wall for me. You've mentioned Glenn going to take the England job. What were your thoughts on that? And when did you know that Ruud Hullet was going to take over his position? Uh, With Glenn, it was right at the end of the season there. And I was really disappointed. I loved playing for Glenn. One of the biggest influences on my career. And I think if Glenn had stayed, and as I say, he'd done this, you know, more squad thing and, and he said he would have sat me down and said, "Well, look, you know, I want to keep you as fresh as possible. I want to, especially with my more attacking players, I want to rotate a little bit more. You might be looking at twenty-five, thirty games. I love Chelsea Football Club. Uh, you know, I, I would have gone with that and, and, and entered this new era of the way that we're going to play." Um, it, Rude got the job very quickly afterwards and was less of a communicator. So you wouldn't know whether you were in or out. It would just be on the board when you came in on a Friday or even a Saturday. You could be starting one week and not even in the squad the next. Um, so that was the difference uh, as well, is the communication aspect. And it just wasn't one of those things that was going to happen. And it you know, happened with a few players, not just myself. 
Hmm. Um, so very disappointed that Glenn left, though I can understand, you, you know, when your country calls. Um, and, and, and more disappointed to kind of, to, li- to have to leave Chelsea, really. Hmm. Um, it, which could have been a lot different if there'd been a different manager in place. Because I still think, you know, I was worth being a, a player at Chelsea. Just want to touch on Glenn just briefly. What was he like as a coach for you? Great, great coach. Uh, a visionary as a player, a visionary as a manager. And he s- saw things as a coach in your game and that, that he could open up and, and make you better. He made lots of players better in that Chelsea. I mean, you think of a squad gets to the European Cup semi-final. You know, yeah. he, he made a lot of players better players because of his skill at seeing things and an ability to to coach you um and and i've spoken to many of the players in the england setup i mean under glenn i got into two england training squads as well when terry venables was was manager but even speaking to the players like rob lee that i i know very well uh when glenn took over for england he just said he was brilliant as an england manager his record as an england manager is very good um, he said he would see things and say things about the opposition. You play in Portugal, for instance. He said, and if you go there, their sweeper likes to come out with the ball. And he loves to play a short ball into midfield. If you position yourself there, you'll steal it and you'll be onto the back four. And, he, and Rob would say, and it would happen exactly like Glenn said. He had the mind for the very highest level of, of football. And that's why it's a shame to me that Glenn Hoddle is not involved at the very highest levels in coaching because he he's he's a he's a loss to the game because he's he isn't you know he's he's a great great coach. We're coming towards the end of your time at Chelsea. I want to fast forward now to the summer slash Christmas time of 1996. You left Chelsea to rejoin Queens Park Rangers. It was initially on loan and then it became more of a permanent move. Just got a couple of questions. Um, did you have a conversation with Rude about your situation with your position at, at the club? Um, obviously, you've mentioned that his communication skills wasn't something that you were particularly happy with. But did he mention any sort of particular plans for you? Or when did you realise that you had to leave Chelsea for the sake of your career? Um I could see that I wasn't being played regularly uh, for for Rude when he took over in the summer and pre-season. And, and I was going to come out of contract at the end of that season. So I went and had a little chat with Rude and said, look, Rude, you know, the, the club will get nothing for me at the end of the season. Uh, it looks to me like I'm not really going to be in your plans. If that's so, maybe we could have a chat and maybe you need to move me on now while Chelsea can get a fee. But I want to play for the club. And um, if it means, you know, being a squad player, then great. But just put me in the picture. And he didn't really say too much. And then after that, I just got put in the reserves and actually made to train with the youth team sometimes. It, I wasn't treated well. David Rocastle, same thing. John Spencer got treated the same way. And if I saw Rude now, we'd be... I'd, be fine but I can't say he was a good manager for me he was a brilliant player and I loved playing with him as a teammate but as a manager not not so good and you know he had his issues with people like Robert Lee and Alan Shearer up at uh, Newcastle these are good pros these are good players you know and and so um, that was a man management issue that, that wasn't right and so what really I suppose saddened me so I had in the end, so I'm then playing for the reserves and then QPR come in. And Wolves are interested, a few other clubs. Um, but they just come out of the Premier League a couple of months earlier, a few months earlier. And they're Trevor Sinclair there, Andy Impey. And he want, they got Spenny, John Spencer and one of myself to get the straight back up. And I thought it was my old club going back home to start again. Uh, it could be a good challenge, a bit of a gamble to step, step out of the Premier League. But um, what was sad is really the way it happened and leaving without ever saying, being able to say goodbye properly to Chelsea fans. So it's funny, you know, in football, things happen in a certain way. It, you know, if Glenn stays and, and doesn't get the England job and stays, you know, I could have, maybe I, I stay another five, six years at Chelsea, see out my career there. Who knows? Um, 
But I, I'm very grateful for the time I had at, at Stanford Bridge and to be part of the King's Road Revolution, uh, which is a chapter in, in my biography. You mentioned there, my biography is it's a chapter. That's what I call it. The King's Road Revolution, all about uh, Chelsea and all that happened in those days. Just a couple of more questions, Gavin, before I do eventually let you go. One question that I've asked all my guests and you know, I would like to get your thoughts on it is VAR. You know, are, are you for it? What's your overriding thoughts on o- overriding VAR? opinion? Don't like it. Haven't been convinced from the start. I mean, I can see for maybe just goal line, you know, over the line or not. But the whole thing of, uh, you know, it's just got ridiculous. And it's, it's slowing the game down. It's not, you know, everything, these reviews that are happening, it's not, that's not the way, it's more, that's more for American football. Um, and what you're doing now is you're going four, five, six moves back in the game. You know, how far are you going to go back where you find a, an, inf- an infraction? So I wasn't convinced when it first came in. I'm still not convinced now. Um, and I actually like the human element of, you know, uh, in the moment, the referees, linesmen making calls and, and maybe it's a mistake sometimes. And you have to go with that. That's it. You have to live with that injustice, as it were, or that mistake, just like we all make mistakes on the field when we're playing. And, and uh, so, again, goal line things, yeah, over the line or not, maybe, yeah, but not the other side of it. That's my opinion. Now, Gavin, you're the first guest that we've had on the show since Chelsea won the Champions League this season, beating Manchester City. It's been a bit of a bonkers season for Chelsea. What are your thoughts on Chelsea today? Um, well, I'd love to play for them. <laughs> 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 I'd love to play in the system there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think they've got a good manager in there. He's done well. Too short. He's, 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 I like the way he carries himself. Um, and obviously the players have responded to win the Champions League like they've won for him is a remarkable achievement for the players. It's a remarkable achievement and a top four Premier League finish. Um, it's, it's just been a tremendous achievement, you know, to not many teams win the Champions League and they've done it a couple of times now. Um, so I think it's exciting days uh, for Chelsea. Um, you know, they've got some excellent players, um, I love the young Mason Mount uh, uh, and, you know, just the way that he plays. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him on the top stage in the Euros as well. And I think, you know, Chelsea fans have got to be really hopeful for next year and excited for, for the future of the club. I think it's key to keep bringing through youth players as well. And that's what, you know, I'm encouraged about with, with Chelsea that they are continuing to do. Well, one thing that, I would like to discuss with you as, as we have got you on the show is you've got a book out, Gavin, mm. haven't we? And yes. it's, it's a book that sort of tells your story. It tells your career in pictures. I'm, you know, you showed me before recording, there's some great pictures of you with the Chelsea lot also in your days with Newcastle and Queens Park Rangers. I just yeah. sort of got a couple of questions about the book itself, Gavin, and then, if you can tell us more about it, hmm. why now in regards to the autobiography? Mm-hmm. Um, how fun was it to do mm-hmm. as well? And what can people expect if they want a copy of your okay. autobiography? Yeah. Um, why now? People said to me before, write your biography, write your biography, you know, when you're a player, when you're finished. Uh, and I thought, no, not the right time. Then I went on and I, worked for the BBC and I was on Match of the Day and on TV and radio and they said, do it now. And I said, no, not quite the time. And then I left the BBC in 2008. And I turned down the second dream career, as it were, to, to go into church ministry. So uh, that was a really different path. And um, I've been a Christian since I was 18, but never thought about being in the leadership in the church until the mid 2000s there. And then I turned 50 uh, two or three years ago now, and I thought 50 is a milestone, you know, half a century. Yeah. Maybe now is a good time to write my story. 
where I have maturity to reflect on it. And, um, and, and, and it's, yeah, it is, it's called, it's called a greater glory uh, from pitch to pulpit, you know, the journey all the way from the football pitch to being a pundit to the pulpit where I am now as a, as a pastor in, in Canada here. Um, And uh, how fun was it to write? I actually, like most sports biographies are written, they're ghost written. So they have a, you know, a professional author that, that, that writes it and they do interviews and, the, and then they put it together. But I wrote this all myself. So these are all my own words. I didn't use a, a ghostwriter. So it was, it was a challenge, but I, I mean, I write a lot now anyway, as a pastor, you're always writing sermons and letters and this, that, and the other. Um, it was a challenge, uh, but over a couple of years, I put it together and uh, it begins with that FA Cup final uh, at, at Wembley. And I want to take people with me into the dressing room, onto the pitch, and then off the pitch into my life. Um, and so I think people can expect a different kind of sports biography. It's a different story, number one. It's an unusual path. But the way it is written as well, um, I would say that it's a story of life in all of its complexities that's set against the backdrop of the beautiful game with all the colourful characters, the, the managers, the players, the, the incidents that will make you laugh. I'm telling dressing room stories and, and of the great games. So it's, it's this story of life set against the backdrop of the beautiful game, but with the light of my faith upon it uh, at times throughout the book. And, and so I deal with things in the book that, so you don't have to be even a football fan to, to read it. Football fans will love it, but there's aspects I deal with um, winning and losing, uh, of suffering, disability, mental health, uh, race, racism, um, family, fatherhood, uh, even career and how you start again and make a success in things. And so there's things that people can tap into all, all, all throughout. And of course, the other thing is it's a study of leadership, great leaders that, you know, play for some of the best managers in the game with the Keegan and, 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 and Hoddle and Jerry Francis and Ozzy Ardiles and Venables and Bobby Robson. I was, he was my England under 19 coach. So, so I think that's what people will get. And I think if I would say finally about it, that it will, um, it's a book that will make you laugh. It's a book that will make you cry because there's some, there's some sad moments in there. Uh, but it's definitely a book that will make you think. And, uh, and so hopefully people will enjoy it. It's a hardback, 264 uh, pages. So it's not too long as well. That means a lot of fellas will read it because you, you get fellas, they, they look at a book and it's too thick. They go, no, I'm not reading it. But men will read it if it's not too thick. So mine's, mine's about right for them. You felt well with that. That's good. Yeah. And you can get it on Amazon. It's, it's on sale on Amazon. Just click and, click and buy uh, I think it's £11. So it's yes, we will, we will upload uh, the link to our social media channels of, as well. But fantastic plug with, with your book. And it's one that, you know, Chelsea fans, especially the ones that followed you in the 90s, even, yeah. even now, you know, should buy the book and read your story. Gavin, just got one final question. How do you look back on your Chelsea career? Oh, uh, just with great uh, affection. Uh, I think great gratitude to have played for such a great club. You know, to have won the number 10 shirt at Chelsea, you know, it's, it's a significant number. And, uh, and to be part of that King's Road revolution. And I talk about my feelings in, in the book. Um, it is it, something that will never leave me. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm forever grateful that, that I got the chance to play for that club um, uh, for, for nearly, you know, three and a half years. So um, wonderful. And a, a club that obviously I look for that scoreline every week. Gavin, I just want to say personally, thank you very much for joining us here on the Blue Day podcast. I really appreciate your time. Obviously with the time difference as well, with you being in Canada as well, been a little bit of a difference, but absolutely thrilled to have you on on the podcast today Gavin so well thank you yeah it's been fantastic great you know podcast that you do and it's a you know I love the ones that are done by true fans like yourself and and I think you know the Chelsea fans are 
they're some of the best in the world. And so, you know, producing good content for them, getting the ex-players from different eras on like you're doing. Um, I think this will be a, a very successful podcast long term. So well done to you. We're going to end it there. I'm not going to say anything else. Gavin, <laughs> thank you very much and all Cheers. the best. Thanks, Keith. Cheers. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.